Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I welcome back our regular guest of the podcast, our dear friend, policy expert, fellow policy wonk, Jill Hayden, director at Sellers Dorsey, to discuss the imminent end to the public health emergency and the restart of redeterminations for our Medicaid members. Jill, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here on such an important topic today. I am so happy to have you whenever I think about redeterminations, public health emergency, I think of Jill Hayden. Um, you've done so much work in the space. Not only you, but like Sellers Dorsey's done so much in this space. Um, one of our amazing trusted partners, uh, and really are sort of looking at the landscape nationally of what states are doing, what we can all learn from one another, and and there's a lot because this is a huge, huge shift. Can you just sort of break down very high level? what we can expect here in Illinois and what it means for the public health emergency to end and for redeterminations to start back up again. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Sellers has been doing uh, quite a bit of work on this uh, recently. We've done a few webinars um, and really tracking what other states are doing as well. Um, so what it means basically is that at some point, the federal government is going to make a decision that the public health emergency is officially over. Um, it officially goes through um, the middle of July right now, um, and they have told states that they're going to give them 60 days notice um, prior to the end of the public health emergency once they know for sure what the date is going to be. So we know for sure that it's going to go past July 15th at this point. Um, but we don't know exactly when that will be, whether it'll be in October um, or it'll be the end of the year. Although there's a lot of speculation right now that it probably will go through the end of the year for a variety of reasons. Um, and essentially what that means, once we do know the date and states are given the 60 days notice, is that they are going to have to resume their operations, normal operations around um, eligibility and enrollment in their Medicaid programs. Um, as you'll remember, during the public health emergency, states were allowed um, an additional 6.2% um, federal match on their Medicaid program so long as they didn't um, kick anyone off of the rolls during the public health emergency. Um, and so states have um, honored that um, for obvious reasons, for financial reasons. Um, but once the public health emergency is over, that additional FMAP will go away at the end of the quarter following the end of the public health emergency. And so states have been given um, 14 months from CMS to complete this process. Um, and states can choose whether they wanna use the two additional months on the front end or the back end or one additional month on the front end or one additional month on the back end. Um, but we, know, we do know in Illinois that they do intend to take a full 12 months. Um, they're going to start the reprocessing on a time-based um, approach, but we don't know how they're going to use that two additional months yet. Um, so a um, lot of preparation, a lot of engagement and um, with stakeholders has happened over several months getting ready for this. Um, but as we get closer and closer, I think it's on everyone's mind. Absolutely. And I think let's like break down for our listeners a few things because you gave us so much there and it's 
so much at once. So first and foremost, the feds have told us they will give, they, they have told states they'll give you 60 days advance notice. And everyone believes by and large that it will, the reason you said it's not going to be mid-July, maybe it'll be October and you skipped several months in between July and October is we do anticipate it would be on a quarter. It will be in a fairly even um, timeframe. And so that's really, we're looking for October or through the end of the year, simply because that's how the federal government typically operates. And so that's what we're looking for sort of 60 days before mid-October, mm-hmm. which is mid-August, we should know, or we'll see it later in the year. The second piece, and I think this is so important, is because of the public health emergency, we have not been doing any annual redeterminations for any of our members. And you've seen the Medicaid rules here in Illinois, but across the country grow because of that. And that is because, believe it or not, to our listeners, Medicaid's a really fluid program. Prior to the public health emergency, about 40,000 members would come on every month and 40,000 would go off every month. And so while it's really stable for our seniors and people with disabilities, for sort of the the moms and babies and ACA adults, there's a lot of churn. People, you know, work extra hours, they get a raise, they get a job with healthcare, you know, for whatever reason, um, or they become unemployed or, you know, whatever, people come on and off the rolls. And so what we anticipate is there's going to be a good amount of people who have gotten raises, who are no longer financially eligible for Medicaid. And so they need to come off of the Medicaid rolls. And that process sounds so simple, only cover eligible individuals, but it is a Herculean task. And we have millions and millions of people to go through this with. And so what we've decided here in the state of Illinois, or HFS has decided here in Illinois, is they've been updating people's eligibility dates, basically moving them out a year so that it's spread out as evenly as possible. It's not going to be, you know, it's not exactly a 12th, a 12th, a 12th. It can't be that perfect, but that, so they have time to work through this in a logical measured fashion, as opposed to sort of this huge wave all at once, but we haven't done it for over two years. I mean, you know, and potentially nearing three years, depending on when this ends. And so members, individuals enrolled in Medicaid, they're not looking for their mail. They might've moved. They might've moved several times. Um, And the state agencies aren't used to this anymore. I mean, you know, they've had people, you know, we talk about people leaving the workforce, the state's an employer. They're no different um, than anybody else. And the challenges with hiring and all of that hits them as well. And then there's providers who, you know, every providers used to really have a system and they knew how to outreach and they, you know, that's all rusty or they've had turnover too. And so there are people who aren't as familiar with that. You know, I, I suspect, I don't know for sure, but I suspect providers aren't as good at checking enrollment in health plans as they used to be, because there's been a lot more Um, It's been more steady. There hasn't been as much turn. So you're going to see quite a bit of what the simple thing of making sure that everyone who's enrolled in Medicaid is eligible, you know, that's like a bumper sticker, making that bumper sticker work looks real different. Yeah, um, I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, from the state's perspective, um, they want to make sure that who, you know, 
everyone who remains eligible um, remains enrolled, right? And um, that's going to be the vast majority of people. There will be individuals who are no longer eligible. But for those who are, they want to make sure that they continue that coverage um, and continue that continuity of coverage um, in the program, that they don't lose it, that they stay with their providers, they stay with their health plan to make sure that they, you know, they get that, that care coordination along with it. Um, but to your point, the biggest hurdle, at least at the front end, is making sure that people receive that information in the mail. Now, the state does have what's called ex parte renewals where they can use electronic verification sources um, to, to verify individuals' income. And the state has been doing that in about 30 to 40 percent of applications, even during the public health emergency. So um, if they could verify during the public health emergency that someone was still eligible, they continued to update those renewal dates, which is good news. But for the rest of the population, they're going to have to receive that in the mail and they're going to have to fill it out and get it back in time. And so the focus really right now in Illinois is getting the word out to make sure that the addresses and contact information are all updated to ensure that they are receiving that information in time um, to get that, that application back in. So if you are in the provider community, HFS has a great toolkit to reach out to your patients, have them update their addresses. It's really seamless. They could also contact the plans, the plans can help them update their addresses so that whenever this kicks off, whether we're talking October, we're talking next year, we have addresses and phone numbers ready to go. Um, and phone numbers are critical. I know address, I know it's going to be mailed um, because here in Illinois, for our listeners who don't know this, it is like a piece of paper with a special barcode and it, that has to be sent in unless they have a manage my case online, which is if you're a provider and able to help people set that up, that's great. It is a little complicated. Um, the number one thing to do, make sure the address and phone number are updated because the plans can also then text that member if they have invalid phone number. Um, so that's huge. Yeah, and I would say the other great thing about the Illinois outreach campaign is that it's available to anyone who wants to use it on the website. Um, but it's all been standardized and it's available in, you know, text and website information and email and however you want to use it, it is available there. And they've also translated in, into several different languages. Um, and the good thing about this is that means that everybody is saying the same thing. They're all using the same script. They're all putting out the same information to everyone. So people aren't getting confused about what's happening now and what they should be doing now. So um, they've also um, sort of bucketed into different phases of the outreach campaign. So obviously right now the, the, the focus is on updating your address. But once we do have a date for the end of the public health emergency, that campaign outreach is going to change a little bit in terms of messages. It's going to be, you know, look out for your mail, make sure you're watching for it. If you haven't updated your address, please do so. And then once we um, get, you know, actual dates for individuals um, whose redetermination date is coming up, then we can really target that message specifically to those individuals as well. Absolutely. And so we are all working on that sort of next phase of how do we outreach? How do we message? How do we contact these members? But there's sort of, you know, a lot more at play and other states are, are sort of developing comprehensive plans as we think of this PHE unwinding. And, and I, Sellers, like I said, has been sort of at the forefront of that. And you're such a critical part of that team. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen in other states, what we can sort of learn and build from here in Illinois? 
Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned before, states are going to have about 45 days to um, to put their actually to submit their plan to CMS on what that unwinding plan looks like. And, you know, while we are focusing, obviously, on enrollment and eligibility and outreach right now, and of course, that is, you know, the most important piece right now, there are other pieces of the public health emergency that will be unwinding, um, namely operational and administrative pieces around flexibilities that states were granted during the public health emergency. Emergency. Um, for instance, you know, some of these are around um, additional benefits or enhanced rates that were paid to providers during the public health emergency, the most obvious being around vaccines and treatment um, and testing. Um, you know, all of that's going to be unwound. Um, there's things like telehealth um, that states are going to have to consider. And so we've seen a really good example in the state of California already of a real comprehensive plan that has both the eligibility piece in it and then the operational unwinding as well. Um, and it includes things that I just mentioned. Um, and so now that we've seen that in California, I would expect to start seeing it in other states. And so, um, again, the main focus is going to be on getting the word out for eligibility and enrollment, but states need to start thinking about what those other pieces are as well. And stakeholders need to start thinking about how it's going to impact them. Right. Like, I mean, I think that as has been the case with the pandemic, as we sort of think about like one thing, um, but it's always so much more. That's sort of like the tip of the iceberg, like redeterminations and eligibility enrollment is the tip of the iceberg, but sort of under that is all this other stuff that we have all, you know, sort of taken for granted or not fully appreciated. How does this impact us going forward? And how can we make sure that nothing sort of falls through the cracks? Right. And I think as safety net providers out there, you know, they really need to be thinking about what this is going to mean for them. Um, you know, if they're, they're going to see loss of revenue associated with people losing their eligibility in Medicaid, becoming uninsured potentially, or even moving over to the marketplace and joining a different health plan that a safety net provider may not be um, contracted with. So, you know, you have to think about that as well. Um, and, you know, what, what's the impact on, you know, if you're doing telehealth today, is that going to be available tomorrow? Um, if you're doing vaccines and treatment and testing today, you know, what does that look like after the end of the public health emergency? So, um, and then, you know, you mentioned this before, but with the workforce shortage, you, that sort of compounds the issue too, right? You've got, you're going to have more demand for services. Um, at the same time, you've got some workforce shortages going on. And so, you know, we just really want to start thinking about what the public health emergency is going to mean for everyone. Um, obviously, focusing on the enrollees, but also the downstream effect on, on everyone, including the health plans and providers. Right. Um, and, and the there's so much like, you know, losing eligibility, you know, switching health plans, um, you know, switching you know, from Medicaid to a commercial plan and exchange plan, but it could really just be losing eligibility, regaining eligibility, being on a new plan than you were on before. You know, there's going to be a lot of that that we always used to say when we were dealing with the provider community, like eligibility was our number one challenge because it functioned really different than um, commercial insurance. And so there was more churn, there was more sort of um, fluidity and, all of that's going to come back and there's going to be movement between plans and then truly just loss of coverage and, and a true shift in coverage and the provider sort of understanding and appreciating where the financial responsibility lies 
is going to be something they need to really focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so, you know, in the coming months, I think we will start seeing some of this come out of the state of Illinois in terms of some of the unwinding that the state's going to have to do that's associated with the public health emergency. Um, And I think you'll start seeing um, stakeholder engagement around those pieces as well um, and having people start thinking about what it's going to mean for them specifically. Absolutely. And I will say, while there are challenges, there's also an opportunity. And the opportunity here is for the state, for us here at IMHIP, for the plans, and for the provider community to really partner together. It is in all of our best interests to help people keep their coverage because these individuals who are eligible for Medicaid, you know, we don't want them out there uninsured without a, a safety net, a healthcare safety net and resources. And so while there are a lot of challenges before us, there's also the opportunity of partnership and um, learning from each other, learning from other states and creating a system that works for the members we're all here to serve. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Oh, well, I think that's a, the perfect optimistic part to end on given all of the change and challenge before us. Jill, thank you so much for joining me today. Our conversations are always so enlightening and I will have you back on soon as we learn more. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to learn more about what IMIP is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today, we encourage you to visit our website, imhip.net. You can also find out information about becoming a trusted partner like Sellers Dorsey on our website. And finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the Sam and Sam says. As always, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.